conversation continues right now, right now, right now with now, Dominique now. DePrima on First Things First. first. Things first. And I am excited to welcome into the space this hour you at 800-920-1580 and the publisher and editor of the LA Progressive. She's a former president of the Guild Law School, and she is the co-founder of that organization, uh, publication, the LA Progressive. She's a member of several space flight teams previously at NASA's JPL Lab, where she managed resources for projects like uh, Mark Pathfinder. She also sits on several boards, including the board of directors of the ACLU and the editorial board of the blackcommentator.com. Sharon Kyle, welcome. Hey, Dominique. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's great to have you on. I love the LA Progressive. I get it in my inbox. And there's always sort of an aggregate of these amazing articles that I may have missed and some original stuff that you guys are writing that's very thought-provoking. Yeah, so we've been publishing the LA Progressive. I say we. It's my husband, Dick Price, and I. Uh, we've been... Uh, Happy we birthday, the LA Dick Price. <laughs> you would, uh, Dominique just wished you happy birthday. Yes, today is his birthday. So we started um, a little bit over 16 years ago, and we aggregate content and we publish new content, and we also publish content uh, for writers who might have just a single blog and they don't have wide readership. And uh, the reason that we do this uh, clearly is because mainstream media, corporate media, is really not feeding us with the information that we need in order to make good decisions when we're voting or make good decisions around policy, understanding how a nation works. And that's kind of how we started. Mainly we started because I didn't understand how a nation works. And um, <laughs> it, it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a fulfilling process, but in some ways um, it can be um, – it's eye-opening, um, understanding what's happening in the country, and it's sad to watch it go in the direction that it continues to go, even though we think we may be electing good people. We actually started the L.A. Progressive when Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were um, in that primary in um, approaching the 2008 presidential election, and we found that a lot of people um, were really polarized around um, whether you should vote for Hillary or whether you should vote for Barack Obama. And in my lifetime, I'd never seen a primary operate that way, where, you know, there, was, there seemed to be a really big division uh, between people both in, within the Democratic Party. So that's when we started uh, writing the L.A. Progressive. And, and if you um, want to subscribe or get your newsletter, I don't remember how I got mine. I get it in my inbox. I read it. How do we get there? Well, uh, anyone can just go to laprogressive.com, and there is a subscription button at the top, and you can subscribe. Um, you can go there every day to laprogressive.com, or you can subscribe, provide us with your email, and it will be delivered into your email um, in your box every morning. We, it's digital. Uh, we deliver it every morning, and we deliver anywhere between 5 and 12 articles every day, and we've done that for 16 years. So in reading those articles, editing those articles, writing those articles, I have found that my um, understanding has really broadened, uh, deepened, and um, we're pretty much in deep doo-doo. <laughs> wow. I try to stay optimistic. Well, I'm an optimist by nature. I think that is 
part of being a progressive, but it is challenging in these times. I have to go out of my way to find the victories, to make sure I clock what's working. And most of the time now, it seems like it's on the local level, it's city or state level, because the federal government is a whole mess. It is a whole mess. And, you know, they all say, there's an old saying, all politics is local. It is important to get involved. And, and really, the only way that the average person can get involved is at the local level. Um, you know, doing more than voting, of course, voting, but beyond voting, getting involved is a host of Democratic clubs, neighborhood councils. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to read in order to be up on how you should position yourself in terms of elections, in terms of supporting propositions. Um, California is a state that uh, oftentimes, boy, some of these, these past few years, man, we've had like a dozen propositions, and the people that are selling these propositions oftentimes use misleading language to manipulate the public, to get the public to vote. Um, one, one that comes to mind is um, the, gig, the gig economy. There was um, an, an economic initiative on the ballot a couple of years ago that would have really helped to support people that work for Uber and Lyft and, and a lot of these, um, these types of services where the people are not considered employees and they don't get health care. And um, the, the forces behind that initiative were Uber, and they were successful in continuing to keep those people living, um, you know, hand-to-mouth. And we probably could have um, voted against that in, in mass if people understood the initiatives. But the wording, they, it was cleverly crafted, and they had a lot of time and a lot of money to continue to pull the wool over our eyes. But, you know, when I talk about reading, I'm, right now I'm remembering a book that um, um, was written by Cornell West and Tavis Smiley. And I'm just so happy that Tavis has done what he's done with KDLA. The book is The, Ris the Rich and the Rest of Us, A Poverty Manifesto. And um, when Tavis Smiley and Cornell West published that book, oh, my goodness, I'm, oh, it, it was more than 10 years ago. They went on a, on a book tour. And, of course, I went to a couple of the, of the presentations that they made. And they talk about, you know, record unemployment and, and rampant corporate avarice and, and the increasing um, houselessness and dwindling opportunities for, for really making it in this nation. Why is it that we are the way we are? And unless you are either steeped in trying to understand our history or... If you are over the age of 50, you've, you've, you've actually observed this change. But people that are less than, younger than 50 don't understand how much footing the middle class has lost in the past 40 years. Well, I'll say in the past 45 to 50 years since the signing of the Powell Memo. There really has been an effort to take away a lot of the victories that were made during the 60s, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, um, the anti-war movement, a lot of those victories that were accomplished by our grandparents, our parents, and in some cases for some young folk, um, their great-grandparents, a lot of those victories um, have, have been reversed. When you look at the Voting Rights Act, the voting, our voting rights have pretty much been gutted because the, the, um, the current Supreme Court seems to believe that racism is no longer a factor. 
and we don't have to worry about those things. I anymore. mean, I think that's and, a charitable interpretation. I call them the extreme court, which is what my dad called them. To me, I don't think they believe it's over. I think they are white supremacists for the most part. Absolutely. They are white supremacists. But sadly, what has happened in terms of our schooling and the banning of books, you see, this is it's getting much worse. White supremacy is just outright denied. Okay. Yes. Back back in the in the thirties, forties, fifties, white supremacists were proud. <clears throat> they would come out and say it. Now they cloak themselves with this um, this this mask of being pro democracy and not they don't see color, and yet every policy that has changed in the past 40 to 50 years has had a disparate uh, negative impact on black and brown communities. We're less well-off than we were 50 years ago. Our schools are as or more segregated than they were in 1954 after the Brown v. Board of Education decision. In every measurable way that measures um, health, that measures um, mental um, stability, black and brown people in this country, but particularly black people, are at the bottom rungs. You mentioned Tavis Miley and Dr. Cornell West going on tour. I remember it well. I famously debated them on my show. In fact, if you want to see it, it's on my YouTube uh, channel, DePrima Radio. Oh, great. Great, it's, I'll look yeah, for that. It's pretty lively. Anyone watching it may be shocked that Mr. Smiley called me to hire me for this radio station. But anyway, from then to now, we've seen further decline, it seems, and I feel like we're on the precipice of even more the Supreme Court now looking on what supposedly constitutes income, which could result in less opportunities to tax the wealthy, uh, huge losses in revenue for the federal government. I think the, the stripping away of some of the protections and advancements we saw during COVID, like the child tax credit uh, expansion and so many other um, anti-middle-class initiatives that the Republican Party is now blatantly promoting. Do you agree that we've lost ground since oh my uh, gosh and smiley went on the road oh yes yes we are losing ground at exponential rates you know it, it started out 45 years ago it was slowly happening it became apparent when you started to look at uh, mass incarceration it became apparent that something different is going on here you know, we went from being like all other similarly situated nations in terms of um, crime. We had about, for every 100,000 people, there would be 100 people that were incarcerated. And that's true in England. It's true in Canada. It's true in Japan. So every similarly situated country was about 100 for every 100,000. United States went from 100 to every 100,000, had been that way since about 1850, and then suddenly in the 1970s, we started to spike, and we got up to about 800,000 people for every 100,000 people incarcerated. 
over 2 million incarcerated, and over 8 million under some form of state control, whether it be parole or probation or some kind of monitoring by the state. Eight million of American citizens are under state control. The vast majority of them, again, black and brown people. So that's kind of when I I started paying attention because I noticed that my peers, particularly the male, um, my male friends from junior high school and high school, Every time I turned around, I was getting news that somebody was in jail. Somebody had been arrested. And I knew that that was not typical, that my mother's, my parents' generation didn't experience that. And I just was always kind of interested in social conditions, policy changes, because people don't just suddenly become criminal-minded. There are economic factors that contribute to it, but more than that, there were changes in laws Laws that had, a again, a disparate impact on black and brown people. And those laws were not implemented or enforced in white communities. And when, you know, Michelle Alexander came out with the new Jim Crow and I read that, it was like, this is exactly what I see happening. And this is intentional. And then we learned later the, through the Nixon administration during that period of time in the 70s, when these policies were being enacted, that's when you begin to see the spiking. We're talking with attorney Sharon Kyle, publisher of the LA Progressive, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We wish you a holiday season filled with peace and love and a new year rich with blessings. Mask up and stay safe. From all of us at KBLA Talk 1580. Righteous range, and don't be afraid to say what you see. We're KBLA Talk fifteen eighty. Talking with Sharon Kyle, publisher and editor of the LA Progressive. And Sharon, you were really kind of putting a focus on the downfall of the middle class in this country, and yes, the disproportionate impacts on Black people and other BIPOC folks. But the class analysis there is something we don't focus on as much. And I feel like you, in your publication, connect the dots between that and where we are with the crisis of housing. Absolutely, yes. Um, so uh, that what you just mentioned there, I was really focusing on what's happening in the United States. The problem is actually global, and it is the same problem global. It is white supremacy. Um, it is a an effort to a successful effort to um, exploit um, the labor class, the working class that's happening and has been happening all over the globe. We have a a contributing writer to the L.A. Progressive. Um, His name is D.J. Prashad. And D.J., who is um, 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 an Indian, he was born in India, but he's a professor here in the United States now, he looks at global conditions, and he talks about the global south. And how, if you look at some of the conditions that exist here in the um, on the south side of Chicago or um, on in South LA, well, from a global perspective, what we're looking at is macro and micro of the same condition, where you have people who benefit from the exploits of the labor class, they get rich, and those that do the work 
continue to get poor. And then we use, they use resources like the military industrial complex. I call it the security industrial complex, which includes militarization of the borders. Um, It includes taking our urban police forces and turning them into um, um, occupying forces in our urban communities, and that's that's been happening all over the world. I saw a billboard a few months ago where we looked at the police budget of L.A. County over time, and you could almost make a correlation between the increase in the police budget and the decrease in housing availability, almost as if, and, and I wouldn't really put it beyond these people, but almost as if they're planning in um, in preparation for an uprising that they know most certainly must happen. If people continue to live this way, uh, you and I both have witnessed this in our lives. In, in L.A. County, at any given time, there are somewhere between uh, 60 to 75,000 people who are living on the streets, again, black and brown uh, predominantly. Does it become (laughs) sort of a self-feeding beast? What I mean by that is when you shrink opportunities for the middle class and create this situation where you have an expanding impoverished class, some of those white folks blame black people, which then uh, radicalizes them in white supremacy and allows for fake populists like the billionaire Donald Trump to parade as some kind of saviors of the working class. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there have been, there have been conditions like this. It's happened cyclically in the United States and there have been conditions like this at other times. And one of those times was right before the civil war where you had the plantation class that had just gotten so rich We don't often hear about the white people who didn't have slaves, who didn't enslave anyone. Excuse me. They were suffering economically, and they were pissed off. The country was pissed off because the rich had gotten so wealthy like we have today. Yet we have Elon Musk, who um, is claimed to be the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates. If we had a functioning democracy, I believe that we wouldn't have billionaires. We have billionaires not because these people have somehow earned the right to have more money than anyone else, they have found ways to exploit the system. And the more money they get, the more power they get over our elected class, the legislators. They're their puppets. And so mm. it puts all of us in danger. It puts the country in danger. I don't believe that we have a functioning democracy. I think that we had the workings of a functioning de- democracy, but it's certainly not operational in its current state. Is Do you think that the Supreme Court, right now looking at this tax case um, where they are going to redefine or affirm what constitutes income, and the simple way of saying it is that very rich people would be able to say, well, that's not taxable because I haven't realized it yet, meaning it's an investment 
that I'm holding somewhere, but it's not in my bank account, so you can't tax it, which would make it even harder to tax the rich and might eventually lead to the elimination of any kind of inheritance tax. Do you think they're going to rule with the ultra rich and even exacerbate that concentration of wealth and the gap between uh, the very rich and the rest of us? Right. So nothing in the history of this Supreme Court tells me that they're going to rule in any other way. They have consistently ruled in favor of corporations and the ultra-rich. Um, <laughs> we see what's happened with, uh, with uh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas yeah. uh, getting all of this support from Harlan Crow, a very, very uh, wealthy man, who's basically taking care of Clarence Thomas's mother, um, this, this nephew, um, sends them on these lavish vacations. So where uh, Clarence Thomas didn't necessarily have to receive any cash in hand, he did live the style, the lifestyle of someone earning um, much more than Clarence Thomas's income. And we're finding that that's true of other Supreme Court justices as well. They had no obligation to, uh, to report this. Up until recently, they had absolutely no code of ethics. And the code of ethics that they currently have, we have an article up on the um, L.A. Progressive that says the Supreme Court code of, code of ethics is worse than nothing. It was written by Bill Blum. Bill Blum is a former judge and also was a um, death penalty defense attorney. Um, he's been a friend of the L.A. Progressive for many years, and he's actually he's quite brilliant. We often do videos with Bill Blum because he takes complex matters and breaks it down so that anyone can understand. You don't have to have a law degree. And he talks about how this current code of ethics, which the Supreme Court was really pushed into doing, partly because the media, um, uh, independent media, not, not mainstream media, but independent media has revealed how much um, the Supreme Court justices are receiving from the well-heeled. So they adopted this code of ethics that doesn't have any um, shall statements. It has sh um, should statements, which basically makes it voluntary. Uh, so we're, 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 in, we're in trouble with the Supreme Court, but, you know, not all is doom and gloom. And it's one of, one of the reasons that we publish every single day. We believe, and I've seen it in my own life, that when people are activated, when people are radicalized, when people are touched by some of these injustices, they will stand together and take action. I mean, we, we've seen it, you know, in recent years. And increasingly, people are waking up. And there are some things, some minor tweaks that we can change. For example, we could change the way that our voting system works. We need to get rid of the Electoral College. You hear people talking about, let's get rid of the Electoral College. Um, let's minimize the impact of money in politics, money in elections. Um, we can fight off these banning of the books. But yes, we are at a very, um, we're, we're walking right on the threshold of some very difficult years, especially uh, if Trump uh, becomes president again. Talking with Sharon Kyle, she's the publisher and editor of the LA Progressive. Find them at laprogressive.com. Find us at kvla1580.com. I'm Dominique DePrima for KVLA Talk 1580. 
she's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now. Right now, we're getting back to me and Sharon Kyle, publisher and editor of the LA Progressive, talking about this increasing gap between rich and poor, wealth and poverty. It's growing and growing here in the United States. You pointed out it is a global problem. Throughout history, we have seen that when these gaps get too wide, that's when we have revolutions and uprisings. Is that what you were referring to late, earlier when you were talking about the corresponding numbers between the police budgets and the housing crisis? That's absolutely what I was talking about. I was listening to um, a podcast recently, and um, the, one of the people being interviewed on the podcast was talking about this social problem and how it is cyclical. And he used the word that I was unfamiliar with. The word is precarity. That starts with a P like Paul, R-E-C-A-R-I-T-Y. And precarity is the politically induced state of having insecure employment or income either insecure employment or insecure income that is only limited to certain populations and it puts them in a position where they're suffering from failing social and economic uh, networks. It results in economic injury, violence, uh, less health care, housing, diet, weathering, and your listening audience is probably familiar with this if they're black people. I know all the black people that I know, including myself, have had to suffer from this precarity. Well, this person who was being interviewed studies precarity, and he found that we've had these kinds of um, precarious conditions uh, during the Gilded Age. Now, people have heard about the Gilded Age where we had these railroad magnets, much like right now where we have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. Well, back at the turn of the 19th century, we had these railroad magnets and financial speculators. Uh, They were called the robber barons. And during this gilded age, they pretty much made all the decisions about what was going to happen with the United States. They um, exploited those who were wage slaves, um, and, and they controlled immigration. They controlled all policy decisions, these robber barons. So this um, politically induced state of precarity gives more power and control to what we talked about in the Occupy movement, the 1% the Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk of the world, they're running the show. But we say we have a democracy. And um, according to our Constitution, we do have a democracy. So we do have power and can do something about it, which is why they like to keep us in this economically um, insecure position. Because when you are insecure economically and you're not sure about your employment and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, it's really a hard to strategize, organize, to take over the country, which is really our only solution, is coming together in numbers because we just don't have the money. Yeah. What's the word of the day? Precarity. 
Um, of course, we all know the word precarious, but precarity as a politically induced state is a new concept for me as well, one that resonates. To your point about our power, um, one very impactful lawmaker on the national scene told me that they believe within the next five years, the progressives will control Congress. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. We'll get them when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. We hope you have a safe and relaxing holiday season. Mask up and stay safe. At KBLA Talk 1580, we've got a lot to talk about. And your voice is critical to all the conversation. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Talking with Sharon Kyle, publisher and editor of the LA Progressive, I posed the question, is that one way forward? Uh, A lawmaker told me progressives will control Congress within the next five years. Uh, You talked about flexing (laughs) our power. Is that the way forward? I think that is one one of the ways forward. But another one of, one of the things that progressives must have is an infusion of direction from these various movements. And one movement that I'm really excited about is the labor movement. Um, Sean Fain, who is the president of the UAW, has made it very clear that labor uh, unions and labor organizations should not just stay in their lane. They should not just be focusing on their particular, for example, a UAW is United Auto Workers. He's not just focusing on giving laser-like focus to auto workers, looking at other unions, and even talking about non-unionized workforce and how they are positively impacted by the work of union labor. The um, UTLA, uh, the United Teachers of Los Angeles, which, which is headed by Cecily Mayart Cruz, is doing some phenomenal work. Um, the um, uh, UPS, Starbucks, there had been a series of strikes and um, this labor union standing together that is resurfacing. There was a time in the United States where the labor movement or those who were actively engaged in some type of collective bargaining represented about 30% of the working population. And it had had gone down due to the concerted effort of the well-heeled once again. But that is on the upswing. And I think that if we're looking at a bright light toward our future, what is happening with labor is going to have a huge, hugely powerful impact on the rest of us. Well, uh, I love that vision and I think that's right. It's the labor movement. It is our power outside of the uh, government and building power inside that can make a difference. Otherwise, we probably are talking about some major upheaval, maybe a civil war, maybe a revolution. Yeah. Only time will tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sadly, I I think we can all kind of see the writing on the wall. So we've got to band together and um, operate this democracy the way it was, I won't say intended, but the way that it was sold. I always look at the the Constitution (laughs) as a PR. It was a PR effort, and it, it was sold, and we all bought it. 
But when you get inside and really start to study it, you see, oh, no, that was never their intent. Democracy, actually, I don't think was ever the intent of the so-called founding fathers. That was not their intention. Um, Wow, that would be a great show, Sharon Kyle. Have to come back and do it one of these days. Meantime, I want to encourage all of us to go to laprogressive.com. Call yourself a progressive, read and think like one. Sharon Kyle, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me, Dominique. You have a great day. We, you as well, we are talking SAG after contract, Norman Lear, the future of the business in a company town. It's KBLA Talk 1580.